Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Julie Lee and I met at the Tony Overbay Mental Health Conference. My mom invited me and I went with her. We ended up in Wallsburg and Julie was sitting in front of me and she at one point went up and was working with Tony. She specifically spoke about her experience um, in her life and her, her journey. And she talked about a book that she's written called I See You. And she also has a podcast with the same name, as well as a program for teachers. And if you are familiar with Julie Lee at all, you and see her face and recognize her, it may be because you've seen her on the Hope Works. Uh, YouTube. She does a clip there regarding how she never wanted to be depressed or have depression. It's a powerful clip. I really recommend it. it will be in the show notes so that you can watch that as well. I actually recognized Julie, didn't know why, but I had seen that clip, the Hope Works clip. So the next, after I had introduced myself and we exchanged information, uh, I had the realization the next day. I was like, ah, Hope Works. I saw her there. So Julie, will you tell us a little bit about that experience? What was that like for you? And how did you even get connected to have that opportunity? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for just the honor of bringing me on. So with Hope Works, it was such a cool experience. Uh, I was connected because I have a sweet friend named Clint Pulver who did a video there, which you may have seen, talks about his experience becoming a drummer. I think his is called be a Mr. Jensen anyways. And I, 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 one night I watched his and I texted him and I was like, that was incredible. I would love to do one. You know, do you have any, um, suggestions, you know, is, is there a way I could get connected? And, and he had just given me kind of an email of someone and then I never got a response. I just said, Hey, here's my story. I sent them, you know, my website and some video clips of me and I never heard anything. And then I think it was about six months later that someone completely different, uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, uh, Clint Pulver recommended you as, as someone that would be really good to do this. Would you like to? And so I still don't know if like those people ever talked or how it came to be, but it was pretty special. It felt pretty meant to be. And going was so neat. It was interesting during the times of COVID. It was an at-home edition. The original Hope Works is always in front of a live audience, which is my favorite, right? Talking to people in real life. But it was really special. I just went to this beautiful home um, and everybody had masks on. I got to take mine off, which was exciting. And there was like a lady that touched up my makeup and my hair. And I felt like a total movie star. And I just ate it up. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best. This is so fun. Why can't someone do my makeup every day? <laughs> um, and it was just really powerful. Uh, it was you know, they said, you know, we, we usually, we take time to do two takes and then we can kind of splice as needed. Uh, but the camera went rolling and, um, it was a really powerful experience where things just flowed. I think we had to stop maybe twice once 
uh, I think there was like a, a, a car horn in the background. So we had to stop. And then, and then there was one spot where I asked them to stop because I had used a scriptural name and I wanted to say the Bible instead. As I said, I realized I was being repetitive. I mean, the video is over. It's like 11 minutes. So maybe it's slightly over 11 minutes, but to go that long and to not like have my mouth get too dry or anything and to just be able to speak truth was pretty incredible and powerful. And I definitely feel like I had uh, help from from divine sources that day, um, which is just a testimony to me of how much God loves his children and he wants them to feel that love. So will you start us by um, how did you ever get this whole I see you mantra going? What was the catalyst for that? Just for a little bit of context, growing up um, in my home, there was a lot of mental illness and from one of my parents. And it was at a time when there was not, it wasn't talked about as much as it is now, you know, it was just a different time. And the stigma was much worse. I think it was very secretive, uh, at least in my, in my family. Um, it was kind of a family secret in some ways and not that nobody knew, but very few people knew. And it wasn't something we talked about a lot outside of our home. And I say that, and I want to be respectful. I'm, I'm number six of seven kids. So we obviously all have our different experiences. My parents have their different stories. Uh, and so I want to be careful. This is just my lived experience. And I, I loved my family. There was no issue with me feeling very attached to my family. When I, when I moved out into college, I was so excited to start my own family though, where, where mental illness would never touch it. And I've always been such a happy driven girl that I was always like, I like, I'm never going to have a problem with depression or, you know, that's just not even like a part of my nature or my DNA. Uh, but as like, I was dating, I remember my husband, um, a couple dates in, as I realized like, Oh, this is like getting kind of serious. We were like best friends for a while before we ever dated. So things got serious pretty quick with him. And I did say to him, I was like, okay, here's the talk. Do you have any, like, have you ever had a bad day? (laughs) Like, do you have any like history of mental illness or has your mental health ever struggled? Like I was pretty, (laughs) I was pretty. Um, uh, was thorough with my questions with him about his mental state because I was so ready to not have that in my life anymore. And I honestly didn't feel like I could handle more. I felt like I kind of did my part. Um, I was the kid of someone that really struggled with that. That was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was three and, um, had watched them not find success in many different resources and never really get better. And, and, be happy. And so I just knew that that would never be in my future. And he was like, no, he actually had no experience with that. Um, anyways, that, that, you know, there were other dates and other questions, but that was a big one. And we eventually did get married and a little, almost two years into our marriage. Um, I was in a really stressful situation. I was actually student teaching out of state and I was with a really difficult toxic mentor, I'll say, um, that I was working very hard to please. And after five weeks of that, I stopped sleeping and I stopped eating. Uh, I was trying not to throw up in the bathroom on my lunch breaks and I had my first panic attack and my only sample pool for what that was, 
was my my parent. Um, that's the only thing I'd ever, that's the only panic attacks I'd ever seen. And their, their life had been quite hard and continued to be hard. And I had not seen them find healing. So for me, when I began to struggle at all, that's where my brain automatically went. And from there, my, my anxiety just spiraled into deep, deep depression, um, side by side with really extreme debilitating anxiety. And for the next six years, I would be on and off meds in and out of different therapies, trying EMDR, anything I could. And it wasn't until I got, I got into a really good childhood trauma therapist where I feel like I really started getting some work done and, and not focusing so much on the student teaching where the, where the, where the falling apart happened. Um, but really getting into the roots of, of me knowing how to handle negative emotion in general, because I, I hadn't really seen that um, growing up. And as I, as I really struggled to, to just put all this behind me, I finally, through some, some pretty intense rock bottom moments, especially now at this point, being a mom of two kids, uh, through medical advice and people that I trusted and also some really um, some, a couple really interesting promptings, which were very far and few between when, I mean, when you're that depressed, it's so hard to feel the spirit at all. Uh, but having some really clear direction, one that happened about, you know, 3am in the morning when I was praying of just some real clear direction of what I needed to do next. I came to find that this was going to be something I would always be susceptible to. And I could spend my whole life wondering why, and is it childhood trauma? Is it my DNA, my genetics? Is it life experience? But really what mattered was my stewardship to my family. And that while my sample pool of what that could look like was really small, that there was a different way and there was a different path that I could choose. And that this wasn't going away the way I wanted it to. And I came to a really beautiful place of healing with the savior with that. And through all those years, I mean, there were so many moments where people just poured light into my life and it was through seeing me, it was through, um, sitting with me in really dark, hard moments and holding me like a child at times and crying with me and, and listening to me. And that's what ICU means to me is just being present with other people in the good and the bad, all of it. Um, because life is so beautiful and meaningful and also painful and hard at times, that's the real life that I have chosen. That's my real life. And I feel very fulfilled in helping other people uh, not not just feel seen, but but be empowered to do that for other people. I think that we live in an age that is is so easy to disconnect from real humanity. And I think that it can kill us from the out from the inside out if we're not careful. And I just love Jesus. <laughs> I do too. Can you share some of the, the ways that people who feel like they're really bad at seeing people, not because they don't want to, maybe they have the intention, but they feel like sometimes the way they mourn with people or the way that they see them is insufficient. There are some things not to do when someone is depressed or experiencing anxiety. I mean, I think that you kind of spoke to this like good intentions, right? Like absolute good intentions. And probably you and I have both done these things and have learned what doesn't work. And I still find myself doing little things where I'm like, oh, I like wrote a chapter all about that. And I just did it. Awesome. Right. It's a lifelong process. Uh, yeah. So 
I think a big one is trying to fix it, which we hear a lot. Um, trying to explain away people's problems. Uh, I think my friend, I have a friend named Jenny Taylor, who I just dearly love. And her husband was killed in Afghanistan, Major Brent Taylor. And she was left with seven little kids. And we've had this, we've had some really beautiful conversations where she talks about like, no life insurance policy, no new husband, no casserole, no, not that there aren't helpful things and it's not appreciated, but nothing is ever going to fix this. This is always going to be sad. And that when people were able to like, let her say that and be okay with that and just sit with her and be okay with that reality and not say things like, Oh, but aren't you so glad he's in a better place and you'll see him again. All those things. She's like, okay but I'm really sad right now. And that doesn't really help me right this second when I'm in pain and I'm alone with seven kids. I think that that is so important is to let people feel negative emotion and not let our need or our want to be comfortable and have all the answers override what they really need, which is just to like have someone be present with them and what they're feeling. Right. That doesn't mean we need to, we need to, um, be negative or, or, or get in a hole or anything. But like, I think that it takes some bravery and courage to do what the savior did and really mourn with people that mourn and not try to give them all the answers in a way to, to comfort ourselves or to think that we're the one that has all the answers. Certainly there's times for advice, but I think that we should be real selective and careful and try and live by the spirit on that. Because in my experience, I have found the most healing when someone sits with me and listens and says things like, that is so hard. I am so sorry. What's that been like for you? Right. Coming into the conversation with curiosity and just compassion and not stressing so much about having an answer or trying to fix it, because I think that can do a couple things. I think it can make someone feel like, their emotions or their feelings are too much for other people and that they need to, to hold them in because they're making other people uncomfortable because those people are trying to like explain it away. And it also gives the impression, I think, that maybe as the person trying to fix it, you are lacking confidence in that person's ability to get through it and to fix it. You're, you're, or maybe you're lacking some confidence in the savior to help them. And like I said, I'm saying all this with so much love because I do this. I find myself doing this, right? When we put our confidence in the savior and his ability that he can make really unexplainably difficult things whole again, if we really believe that, I think we'll feel much less burden and pressure to try to come in and save a situation like that. And like I said, I don't mean this to be a black and white. I talk about black and white thinking all the time, right? Black and white, this is how it always is. But I can only say from my own experience as being the receiver and trying to give what I have seen work most powerfully is really to get good at just sitting with people in all their emotions and just, just being there, just taking up space, just being a vehicle of body heat sitting next to them, holding their hand, touching their shoulder um, is much more effective, I think. So that's that's the one that's on my brain right now, for sure. Uh, to be heard is to be healed, I think is what we heard from, or at least that's something I wrote down from those notes when uh, Tony was talking about like principles of communication. 
Uh, and I think that's true in so many things, including conflict, including uh, other situations. Most people want to be heard before they want to be talked talked at or given solutions. <laughs> so, um, so what is the anyway, so maybe my my question for you is, how have you? how have you applied this principle of I see you to your relationship with Christ? Cause I know that you talk a lot about him and that the opportunity that he has to heal us and to take care of us. Um, how have you sat with the savior and talked with him about these things? Yeah. Can I share a story? Um, So when I was, when I was in a really bad place and I had two kids at this point, they're five and six now, but at this time, my little girl was about six months old and my son was two. And I remember they would be in the living room and she would be sitting in her bumbo and he would like be shaking toys for her and just being a sweetheart. And I would know that they were safe and they were okay. They were on the rug and I would go in my, my bedroom and we had just a little, a small bathroom just off our, off the master bedroom. And I would go in there and I would shut the door and I would turn on the fan so that the kids couldn't hear me. And I remember many times just laying flat on my face on the dirty, gross tile and just stretching my arms out across the tile and begging and pleading for the savior to appear before me so that I could touch his cloak, like the lady in the Bible and the issue of blood. I read that story so many times during that time of that she had the faith and I would just beg for him to come. I remember this one particular time just begging and pleading and being like, you know, I don't have a ton of faith at this point, but like, this is all, this is everything I have. I'm completely desperate. And I imagine the woman in the Bible, I think she probably was too. I mean, you think about it 12 years, she'd, she'd seen doctors, she'd done all these things. I'm sure she was desperately, you know, grabbing for his like anything to help. And he didn't come. And that was really painful. And in a, in a way, like it felt very personal to me. Like it really hurt my feelings that he wouldn't come when I felt like I had worked so hard. Like I wasn't like a serial killer, right? Like I was like a pretty good person really trying to do my best. I remember not too long after, I remember sitting at the table and I was writing in my journal because I was always trying to do things to not be depressed. I'm like a doer, right? So I had my checklist. I was like learning a new musical instrument and, and fasting and doing, you know, like an exercise and not eating sugar and, you know, like cutting out caffeine, which was a terrible choice. And, you know, like all these different things. Right. And, um, I'm sitting there and I'm crying and I'm writing in my journal and I was so careful, right? Like I had the fan on in that bathroom because I didn't want my kids to hear me sobbing because, there's just, it's hard because I bring in the baggage of being the little kid, right? To a parent with mental health issues. So I was always so committed that this will not touch them. I will do whatever it is. I will ball my eyes out in the, in the shower and then I walk out and I will smile and I will play Candyland. Like that's how we're going to handle this. Well, one day they're, they're playing in the living room and I'm sitting at the table and I'm writing in my journal and in toddles my two-year-old Sam. And you know, two-year-olds like 
they know what they're saying, but no one else does, right? He's like, you know, and I'm just sitting there like crying and wiping away my face. And I have my hand like this, which you can't see right now because you're listening to this podcast, but Tracy can see. And I have my hand like this, um, just covering my face kind of as I'm writing and I'm kind of wiping away my tears. And I hear him start going, mom, mom, mom. And, you know, he only knows a few words, right? Mom. And I just kind of, I wipe away my eyes and then I go, can I say, you know, what Sam, what buddy? And he looks at me and he just says, this kid who like can't put together sentences, you know, he just says, mom, Jesus loves you. And then he just toddles away like that. And, um, you know, like there's this part of me that wants to explain that away because I used to hold him up next to the painting of Christ in our living room and say, Sam, Jesus loves you. Sam, Jesus loves you. But I think that you and I both know that um, it's pretty crazy for a two-year-old to do that. That can't, um, that's never, that doesn't know how to talk. Um, and for me, that felt very, also very personal. Just like I was personally hurt on the bathroom, nasty, dirty tile floor, that felt very personal. And I just looked up this yelling and I said, thank you. Because I felt like my savior was seeing me. And it was like, yes, you live in a mortal body with imperfections, um, with a mind with imperfections that has been, that is part nature and part nurture and all of these things. And yes, you have a susceptibility that you're going to kind of have to be on top of probably and, and maybe you're going to take medicine for the rest of your life, and that's fine. I see you, and I am right here, and I am aware. And it's like you said, um, to be heard is to be healed. Knowing that he's there, it doesn't fix everything, but, man, it means something pretty special to me, that knowing that he is completely aware, that he sees me, um, I feel pretty enabled by that power. I'm not alone, right? That's it. so. That's Satan's uh, greatest, greatest tactic. I think is is isolation, and you are alone. No one will understand. Uh, no one fights in their marriage like you do. No one, you know, no one else looks at pornography that goes to church, right? Like all of these things, you know. That's totally what Satan tries to do to keep us from each other. Because when we're together, we're unstoppable, right? That's what the saints did. They came together on the plains and they were able to do incredible things. They were burying family members and they did it together. That's how they got through it. Cause they were both burying family members, right? These people, they both had bloody feet. They both were starving. They stuck together though. That's what Zion is to me. Um, and so I really feel like Satan that's his tool is he's like people united in Christ together can do anything. Mm-hmm. I can get them away from each other and by themselves and make them like depression. And I will say isolation. I'm going to put with that is like a really demanding mistress. That's like, no, no, like don't be with other people. Like you just need to be alone, you know? And there's a very big difference. I think with knowing who you're being alone with, Cause I also am a big believer in like mindfulness and meditation, right? That's where I go to feel close to Christ and feel like he sees me. Like I'm huge on having some alone time, but that is a very different intention than, I mean, you know, I in bed all day and, um, and I don't mean to shame that 
I have many times when I want to lie in bed all day. And I have many times where I give in and then I lie in bed way longer than I need to, right? Because I'm an imperfect human and I'm sometimes I'm tired and that's okay. But having that intention, I think of who you are choosing to be alone with is important. Have you heard of Byron Katie's? Have you heard of her? Yeah. Byron Katie. Yes, I love her. I've just been told this story. I haven't read the I haven't read the book, but uh, the whole idea that uh, she had this realization after she'd been miserable for years and years and years. She has this thought like, not every thought you have is true. I, I think that that's something that I've, I'm appreciative of because even sometimes when I have thoughts, I'm like, is that a true thought? Is that 100% true? Using those questions that she recommends as well. But I guess that that's something that what are, what are some strategies people can use to help themselves when they are feeling down? and out and they want a strategy instead of just to be heard and seen. Well, and I just want to say, I just quickly looked on my phone. I'm trying to read, I'm like, what's the name of her book is. So the name of her book is loving what is. Yeah. So some strategies for like the girl on the bathroom floor, right? I think that's, I think that you started great by saying not believing like every thought that comes in your brain is not truth. Like, and also like, I'm just going to throw this out there in case someone else needs to hear it. I like, we, you know, we said a prayer before this interview. Like I, I try to pray before I sign a book or right. Because I just, I am weak, right? I am weak, but Christ is good and he is strong. And the thought that's coming to me right now to share is, um, the anxiety is not the spirit. Like, um, worrying that you're not enough is never going to be the spirit and, um, feeling upset at yourself that you didn't like read the scriptures. I don't think that's like ever the spirit. Um, I think that we can feel like, I don't even want to, we use the word rebuking, but, and I'm not saying that's a wrong word to use, but like gentle motivation, rebuking, whatever you want to say. I mean, I feel that that feels really different than like, Oh my gosh, like I can't get my life together. Like God's probably so disappointed that I forgot to say my prayer. Like, no, he's not. God's perfect. He just wants you to be closer to him. He's like, his mental state is not dependent on you behave, how you behave, right? He's giving you all these resources. And so if you're on the bathroom floor, um, I would be real careful about how, um, the way you talk to yourself and what you choose to believe. And I would start really looking heavily at self-compassion. Um, I often talk about self-compassion as I, I had a therapist tell me to take a self-compassion test. And I brought the results back and she said, this is the lowest score I've ever seen in my entire practice. I was like, Ooh, okay. So I guess I'm going to learn about this. Um, learning to talk to yourself like a friend. That's what I work on in our first term in our program at the schools with educators is teaching them self-compassion and talking to yourself the way you would to a good friend. Right. I would start there. And, and if you're the girl on the bathroom floor, like I was like, that's probably going to feel almost counterintuitive, almost like you're like, I'm lying to myself. But if you believe in Christ, what he believes about you, then you start doing it, right? Because maybe you can't believe yourself, but you can believe him. And he's telling you that you are loved, that you are divine, you are all these things. So if you can start repeating those things, I think repeating mantras, self-compassion, I think that's a really good way to start. Another tool that's coming to mind that has been really good for me is finding perfect moments. So when you're like in crisis or, I mean, I like 
when I do this day-to-day life and I don't feel like I'm in a crisis, uh, it's just always amplifies my quality of life. So you don't need to be the girl on the bathroom floor for this to be a really positive thing, but especially then, because sometimes it feels overwhelming. You just need little, you need just little tools to try. When your favorite song comes on and you just love it, or it's raining outside and you roll down the windows or just you smell a candle and it's the smell that you love, whatever it is for you, repeating to yourself, this is a perfect moment. And it doesn't mean that all the moments are perfect today. And it doesn't mean that, oh no, in an hour, it's not going to be perfect. All it means, this is a perfect moment. That's all. And I started doing that through the help of a really great therapist. Um, when I was, I was really struggling and I, like, I could hardly do anything. And so we were just working, you know, just working small steps, baby steps. And so I started trying to actually do that. And it was so hard because like all the talk in my brain was just so awful, but yeah, I'd hear my favorite song on the radio and I would just be like, I really like this song. I'd say, this is a perfect moment. And in the beginning, it wouldn't last long that I, I felt that. But the more I did it, and I was surprised how fast it happened, the more I did it, the more the gaps in between the perfect moments got smaller and smaller. Because my brain, instead of trying to notice negative, all of a sudden it was like looking for perfect moments and they were everywhere. It's like, oh, I love that crunching sound of the leaves under my feet. I just love it so much. This is a perfect moment. And it's something that I want to teach to my kids even at this young age because I want to teach them. I mean, it's gratitude, right? Like in every practice, Byron Katie, Brene Brown, you know, Jody Moore, like gratitude, Buddhism, like every religion everywhere. It's like one thing that everybody can agree on is that gratitude grounds you and makes you I was going to say happy, but I'm going to say you feel joy and peace because to me what I have always wanted more than anything isn't being happy. I've wanted peace. That's what happy looks like to me. I'm, it's great if there's times when I'm like super happy, but I can even feel peace when things are hard. I can do anything if I'm at peace, you know? This is a perfect moment has brought me so much peace. So I don't know if that was too many or too few tools, but those are a few that come to mind right now. I love that strategy. I was thinking about, I'm like, when I want to think about that. Like, and I just thought of yesterday, I was babysitting actually these two girls, Hazel and Nellie. And Nellie is three. She was picking up the leaves as we were walking to the park and she'd pick them up and then she'd blow them with her hand and she'd pick it up again. And then she'd hand you them and make you blow the leaves. And I was like, that just came to my mind as that this is a perfect moment, right? And oh, it was so like that purity of a child appreciating what is in front of them. All she could see were the leaves on the ground and she was like embracing the beauty of those leaves. And that is a good strategy. I am curious about how you decided to focus on teachers and burnout and how to help the mental health of educators? Well, really, I think it started, so I actually, I have a children's book that's being published. We, the book we've been talking about, I See You, is, is for adults, you know, and I know some teenagers that have read it too. 
but it's primarily kind of for adults. Uh, but I actually have a children's book coming out in April, which is really exciting, called Broccoli Punzel. And it's going to be great. It's it's a fairy tale about self-acceptance and self-love and stuff. It was a story that surfaced in college for me. And when I kind of decided, I want, it was the summer of 2017 was kind of my last big, like rock bottom, please begging my husband to institutionalize me like bad, bad summer. And it was after that, that then I was kind of like, okay, I struggle with anxiety and depression. Like, all right, like we're going to stay on drugs. We're going to like the good kind, you know, um, <laughs> and we're going to, we're like going to do maintenance therapy and we're not going to like like we're going to be okay that sometimes we feel sad and we're not going to be stressed out that we're just like the family we grew up in. Like we're going to do this different. And um, then I, it was like, I got this new energy of just like, I am going to save the world and everyone in it, you know, right? Like I am here and I am loud and I am bold and I'm going to see people whether they want me to or not. Like I'm going to save you all, you know? And so with that, I started um, doing a lot more. I started doing a lot of motivational speaking and I started t- talking a lot to kids in elementary schools. And I would come and tell them the story of Broccoli Punzel, the one that's being published next year. And um, I started doing assemblies for kids. And I, I've talked a lot to youth, like teenagers and things. And it's, I mean, they would come up to me afterwards and they just all need a hug. Every single one of them just needs a hug. And like, you just like hug them and you just like squish the tears out, you know, like so much feeling, needing to feel seen, needing that connection. And as I was thinking um, over the years, as I did my podcast while my kids were little, because my favorite thing is to speak in real life, right? Like we talked about this, Um, like to do that with Tony was so fun, which was such a little fun smidge. But when he invited me to come and do it, I was like, yes, like be with other human beings and eat free candy. And, you know, like, why not? Uh, But when, when I, when my kids started getting older and getting more into school. And I started speaking more. I was like, I want to make such a big impact on these kids. And I feel like I just go in and I have an hour. That's all I have. And I just left feeling good, but also like, Oh, but don't forget, please. And I just really came to this realization that if I really want to save all the children of the world, um, the adults that are around them the most, if I could get them to really believe and feel these things for themselves, then they would be modeling that behavior for the kids in their everyday life without even realizing it at times. And so where I really looked was like, I want to work with educators and parents because I have, I know firsthand um, what it's like to have mentors as a kid that, that love themselves and are kind to themselves. And it shows in the way that they mentor. And ones that don't, and they don't have those tools, whether by their fault or, or not, that also shows up. So as we see suicide rates skyrocketing and anxiety and depression and stuff, for me, I'm like, that's, that's where I'm going, as I'm going to the parents and the teachers. And it's hard because I want it. I still, I still go talk to kids and teenagers any chance I get. I still love it because that can make an impact. I 100% believe that but I'm looking at the long game and hoping that we see a trickle effect of like better mental health for the teachers is going to be better mental health for the kids. I, I like 100% till the day I die, will go to my grave saying that I believe that in my heart that when the adults around the kids thrive, the kids have a much better chance at thriving. When the adults around the kids are not mentally thriving, the kids around them are going to have a much harder time thriving. 
Speaking from experience. Amen. I mean, I feel like any day that I took the time to be intentional as well about how I was going to show up that day, how I was going to behave, I felt like I got tested more. uh, But I also feel like it made a huge impact on my students as well. What do you, I'm just curious what you mean by that. What do you mean you got tested more? I feel like this is how, I don't know how things work for me. Maybe I think other people can relate to this too, but I feel like as soon as I, like this week, the podcast I did with Christina Judd, she talked about her relationship with Christ and how she just has this open praying, always dialogue with Christ where she's constantly putting everything, whether she's feeling happy or sad or upset or frustrated or irritated. She's just telling him like, I feel this. I feel this. If you want to take it, you can have it. If you're not going to take it, help me to just be able to see this differently or whatever. She's just constantly in dialogue, whether with her honest feelings with Jesus as the day goes on. And it has made me want to be more cognizant of that relationship and how often I'm talking to my savior throughout the whole day. And so the past few days, I feel like I've been because I've been making an effort to up my level with Jesus, well, opposition has shown up. And I feel like it's been more apparent to me, like my own story that I've told myself about myself and about my capacities have become, like has pulled me more into the false self in the regards that I've been like, oh, you you haven't accomplished very much and da, 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 like getting into this, like con- this narrative I've told myself about myself. And so just hearing, I feel like that addition, the, de- the decision to get closer to Christ also created more of an oppositional force. That's trying to pull me into my false self rather than into my true self and back towards the savior. And I'd say the same thing when I was teaching, when the days that I, the days that I was reading my scriptures before and preparing myself for the day and praying about things, maybe even feeling inspired about a lesson or something that I was about to teach. I always feel like there was some, there was kind of like a student who misbehaved or there was somebody who like threw in a different aspect that I wasn't prepared. Well, that, that maybe I didn't feel like I was prepared for. And that, that I feel like I was tested more in my desire to maintain the intention. Interesting. I definitely feel like there's, and I also feel like though, the more intentional you are, the more you can see when you're successful You can see when things go perfectly, right? Um, But you can also see when you're being more, more opportunities for practice are showing up (laughs) with that as well. Good way to say it. Yep. So true. Well, and I want to, can I throw another thought in there too? Because this is something I've thought about a lot. That's why I wanted your perspective. Because sometimes when I would hear people around me that were making a great impact, different mentors and things, there were some that I noticed that talked about this a lot about like, just wait, Satan's going to come and get you like, just wait. And it kind of stressed me out. And I was like, then why do it? I mean, I love Jesus, but some people I noticed they seemed kind of miserable. Like, yep. You know, doing my 50th fireside this, you know, this quarter or whatever. And just, you know, Satan's working on me 24 seven stuff. And I was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to do that then, you know? And I had a really, because, because I feel like there is truth to that, that I think that the adversary does work on you. I had a really interesting talk once with, uh, he was my state president at the time. Anyways, I was at the gym and he, he would like always find me at the gym. He was funny. He was like this big bodybuilder guy and he was our state president. He's like close to my age. Anyways, he'd like find me at the gym. He'd come in and be like, you're heavy today. What's going on? Like, what's wrong? And we just like sit and talk. 
And I remember once talking about this very thing where I was like, I just think Satan's working on me so hard. And he was like, okay. You know, and I said, what do you do with that? I'm like, you know, you try pretty hard to live the gospel. I'm sure you felt resistance from, from the adversary. And what do you do? And he said, yeah, he said, I think I have. And he said, one thing I have learned though, is that through practice and time, I have shown again and again that he may have power to bruise my heel, but I have power to crush his head. So he said, yeah, things pop up. He's like, but I just keep crushing his head and it's not as much of a thing anymore, to be honest. I was like, oh, that really helps me put these things in perspective because some people I would talk to, I would feel like, well, where's the hope? Like, it's just going to be like me and Satan for the rest of my life. Like I'm trying to do good and he's going to make my life worse. But this really put it in perspective where it's like, I think it's like self-control is a muscle and the more you work it, the bigger it gets. And it's not as hard. So it's like what you just said, where when it's like, you are aware of what it is, Mm -hmm. right? aware of like, oh yeah, that's probably why this is being extra hard. Okay. And it doesn't create so much meaning that then you're able to pop back faster. And it's not as much as I I have loved these mentors I've seen in the past path. I was like, I don't want to be like that where I'm just, yep. You know, sacrificing, giving everything to the Lord and Satan just works on me. And I just feel bad all the time. I was like, that doesn't feel like what I want. That's not how I see the enabling power of the atonement. So he really put that in good perspective for me. And I feel like Anyways, I just loved your thoughts. I just want to throw that in there too. Like, actually, that's really helpful for me to hear because I feel like I've kind of been like, what is going on? Like, why is it that I made this effort? And why is it that I'm experiencing like greater resistance? Maybe that's the word. Or I'm like seeing the salt, but, but maybe part of it too is that I'm like, oh, that clearly is something I haven't totally cleared out. I haven't completely dealt with that part of things. And it's actually my own voice. It's just that I've, and whether it came as a whispering from the adversary, right. Who knows, but I, I've, I've internalized it to the point that now it's not even, he doesn't have to do the work. I'm doing it for him. It's free, right? It's just, I'm making it happen, right? And so I think that that's also something to distinguish is that are we the one who are doing, like, has it become ourselves and our own conversations and our own top, like these own conversations and these own stories we've told ourselves that now it's not even him. <laughs> right. Well, and certainly like he's, he'll take any opportunity to amplify it if, if he needs to. But I like that you said that too. I totally agree where you're like, maybe this is like a warning sign of like, Hey, you haven't worked this out because this is popping up because, okay. Also, I'm going to say this too. All my good advice is from therapy, right? None of this is, is actually mine, but also I've had some pretty like traumatic events and things happen in my life where I had the idea of like a worry box that we all have a worry box and all of ours is like the same size and it doesn't change in size depending on like we always have the worry box and sometimes life like you're in survival mode when it's like crisis time and it's trauma you just like it's a minute at a time like that's all you can handle and all of a sudden like doing the laundry doesn't feel as important and you know what i mean what other people think in your neighborhood you like don't care like because you can't afford to because your your worry is like completely expanded within the box you can kind of only have this one worry i remember kind of coming out of one of these phases when I've been in a really dark place for a while and I was like doing a lot better. And all of a sudden I was like worried about all these things. And I remember my therapist being like, I think as humans, we have the tendency that we like to just always have our worry box full. So if we're not so focused on one thing, then it's going to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out that I'm drinking too much soda. I'm, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I'm such a bad person for this. Like all of these things that there's, they're like smaller 
pieces filling the worry box that sometimes I think there's things that pop up of like bad thinking habits and things. And it's because there's room for you to see it now. Like it's not that it wasn't a problem before, but like your worry box was already expanded to the max. And now that you're trying to do good things, there's like some, some worry space left for those things to like, they're going to get bigger. Cause it's, it's like your natural mind is going to fill it with something. I don't know. That makes sense. Oh, it makes so much sense to me. In fact, I like find that to be exceptionally profound. And I would, I would actually say to that idea that that's why everything can be great and you can be miserable (laughs) and everything can be miserable and you can be great. Yep. So I'm just curious, what are some of the the things that you've seen as benefits by teaching the adults and the parents and the teachers? Do you have any experiences that you can share? Man, just that they need it so much and the direct impact that it has on students. So I want to share, I'll share a quick story. So I was sent an email by a stranger that followed the podcast and they said, Hey, I got your book and I loved it so much. I felt inspired to give it to someone that I feel like does such a great job of seeing other people and specifically of seeing their students. And it was a a teacher and he's like, I sent it anonymously. So he sends her this book and then he, he like within this email, he's sending me, sorry, it's a little confusing. There's three people, right? There's me, the stranger that emails me. And then there's the teacher that he sent the book to. Well, he sends me a screenshot of a Facebook post that this teacher did. He's friends with her on Facebook. He's like, look at it. So I look at it and this, I can give you her name because she's given me permission, but her name's Mrs. Bradford. I can't remember her first name right now. She's a teacher and she writes all about how I read the book and um, I felt so inspired. I don't know who sent this to me anonymously in the, the mail, but I want to be a better teacher. And so I was like looking for the students in my class, like who is it easy to forget? Like who falls between the cracks, right? And she's like, there's this kid. And so I wrote him a note, just telling him like how amazing he is and the good things I noticed about him. And I left it on his desk. She's like, you know, feeling so good. Like I did it. Like I did, you know, I was inspired by the book and I'm actually taking action. So then the next day she comes into class and her, her heart just drops because she looks and or that's not the phrase, her stomach drops anyways. And she, she sees the note and it's just on the floor, like discarded on the floor. And she just felt like, did I do it wrong? Like I, I really felt good about doing this and just kind of disheartening, you know, well, that day she gets an email from the student and it is the sweetest thing. Like I have a copy of it over here and it says with, with the name blocked out and it says, Dear Mrs. Bradford, paraphrasing, I am so sorry, but I left your note in the class and I can't find it anywhere. Is there any way you, would you be willing to rewrite it as best as you can remember? And could you even make it the size of my phone case so I can just keep it in there with me all the time so I can just remember it and I can, I can pull it out when I need it. I'm so sorry. I can't find it. Is there any way you'd be willing to do that for me? And that was kind of a sign. It wasn't the only sign, but that was one of those moments where I was like, I'm helping teachers because you look at that and that like, I'd already been thinking about that, but I have these moments where I'm like, thank you, God. Like, I think that he is, because sometimes my brain is so mixed up and crazy. And like, I have so many thoughts and I'm always thinking and that it's hard for me to distinguish what's what I found it really powerful to be really aware of what's going on in my life. And I see him everywhere. Like, confirm mostly confirming decisions I'm making because I'll try to be prayerful and then I'll, I'll make choices that feel right. But it's not like I feel this like 
really firm peace commitment from the Lord being like, yeah, you should do that. I just feel okay. I don't feel bad. But then I have like an email like that the next day. And that's where I feel like God's like, this is how we get to Julie (laughs) is we get to her through other people and just being aware. I'm like, Oh, and this happens to me all the time, getting those kind of emails when I'm like questioning myself or like yesterday, one of my teachers at one of my schools said, can you, can you sign five books for my girls and my wife? And I did. And then I get an email from today and he's like, oh my gosh, like you wrote perfectly with each name. I can't think of better words that they specifically need to hear right now. And I, I, I try and pray before I read books, but like, I don't know. I just try and listen to my gut of like, and I try, I try not to like overthink it. Just like what's coming to my mind right now. And that's where you're like, dude, someone else is in charge because I'm just like me, like a mom that's trying not to like yell at my kids and like, I can't get my bed made, right? Like we all are, but he takes us if we're willing. And I feel like he's like, say this, do this. And so I just, I love teachers and I see them, I see them needing it and, and soaking it in, especially at my elementary school right now, like. It's like, I get like five minutes into my presentation and like half the school is bawling. And I'm like, this isn't even the part where you're supposed to cry. Like what is going on here? But it's like, some of them, no one's taught them about self-compassion and they are struggling because they are so, I mean, you think about it like as a, and you know, this as a teacher, there's so much you can't control in a kid's life and you work yourself to the bone. I mean, there's bad teachers out there. Like there is in every profession, but like most people that choose to be a teacher are really good people that really, really need self-care because they don't, they can't control the kid's home environment. Like they just work and work and work trying so hard to help these kids and they can only do so much. Like, where's the therapist for the teachers, (laughs) right? Where, you know, we have all of these mental health programs for the kids, which are 100% necessary. And I think there's other people that feel called in that direction. I feel called to the teachers to help the people who are trying to help those kids. I am the faucet. He is the water. Mm, Yes. Came to my mind when you shared that story. I was like, again, I am the faucet. He is the water. We're not the water. And that's important. We try to be the water. We try to fix it, right? Yeah. And we're not. Open up. (laughs) I love that. We don't know, you know, but he does. Absolutely. And do you have a go-to quote? One that's coming to mind is when by Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better just the whole idea of, I don't even know if she says this, this could just be me. But what I think of is don't punish yourself for things you didn't know. But now that you know better, do better. I think it's really easy. We, I mean, you and I, like, I'm even saying things to you right now that I'm like, oh crap, like, I wish I'd done that in this situation or, you know, like things that I know that I don't do perfectly. Like when you know better, do better. And, and don't punish your things, yourself for things you didn't know. And don't punish other people for things they don't understand. And a go-to book and podcast. Okay. Well, I'll give a shout out to Tony's podcast since he's the reason we met. I love the virtual couch. I've been on there as a guest a couple of times and I just, I just love Tony. I love how real he is, how relatable he is and the free therapy he gives on the virtual couch. I love it. Um, and I just love my sweet friendship with him. And I love that he endorsed my book. So I have a lot of reasons to love Tony Overbay, but I, I do love that podcast, the virtual couch. And also he came out with a new podcast. that's really great called waking up to narcissism that I know is having a really positive impact for a lot of people. And then a go-to book. Oh, the one that comes to mind is I love the book thief. I just love the writing of the book thief. Oh, I love it so much. 
It's like poetry. I read it like four times. So that's a book I love. Throw in there too for nonfiction. Um, the Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown was my first Brene Brown book that a therapist was like, you need to read this. It's going to change your life. And she was 100% right. And it's like 120 pages and it's so fast and it's so easy. And it is mind blowing if you're not used to Brene Brown. How have the neighbors in your life impacted you and helped you attain your goals? Showing up for me when I really needed it, like sending text messages when I legit was like, can you just help me get my kid dressed and help me get them out the door so we can go on a walk? Cause I'm just, and showing up and doing it and like, then letting me see them for who they are too. And not, not, um, like there's no keeping up with the Joneses. There's no, like, there's none of that, but just showing up and then allowing me to show up in return, being willing to receive, to give and receive those. That's so important. That's created so much trust for me and so many incredible neighbors I've had in my life. And how can we reach you? You can reach me a lot of ways. My website, julieleespeaks.com. I'm also on Facebook as Julie Lee. I'm on Instagram as Julie Lee Speak. And um, yeah, I have that Hope Works video for, for your LDS audiences or just Christian audiences or anyone that wants to hear about that. I do talk about Jesus. Um, I think that the church named it, I told myself I would never become depressed on Hope Works. I really, really short blonde hair. So I'm the only one like that. I think that has like boy short hair on it. So um, yeah. And then on my website, you can send me an email from there. There's a way to contact me and just come straight to my email. So if people want to have you come to their school, how does that work? Is that via your, your website? Yeah. Just reach out to me. I get, I literally get it instantly. So like if you email me right now, I'll have it in a minute. You know, if you just message me on my website. So yeah, always love to help however I, I can. I love it a ton. 